But I also want to start with a question. It's quite a, quite a personal question. Uh, how is your prayer life at the moment? I'm not going to turn, ask you to turn to the person beside you and, and share that. But just how is your prayer life at the moment? Most of you will know that we have uh, just finished a series looking at the seven deadly sins. And each week after considering a particular vice, and here were the seven we looked at, we then suggested a virtue to pursue in order to confront those vices. Plus we also suggested disciplines to practice. Now some of you might have noticed that the discipline of prayer was never mentioned. We had confession and gratitude and silence and Sabbath and fasting and community and worship, but no specific reference to prayer. Although you could argue that all of these include prayer or, at the very least, needs to be accompanied by prayer. And so starting this evening, I want to introduce a kind of new Sunday evening series on this issue, on this gift, on this priority. And as church uh, leaders and members, some of us, many of us, have recently been revisiting our, our church's vision And there's a word that has come to the forefront of our thinking as we consider the months that lie ahead. And that word is engage. Because we want this to be a place where people engage. We want Windsor Baptist Church to be a place where people are encouraged to engage. And one of the things, and there are many, But one of the key things that we want to invite people to engage with and in more intentionally is prayer. Because we recognise that individual and corporate prayer is essential. That we need to be a praying people and we need to be a praying church. And yet we realise it can be a real struggle to mesh and to integrate prayer into our daily routines, if we're honest. And it's also difficult at times to meet regularly with others to pray. Now I'll guarantee that that not one of us here this evening would question the importance of the necessity of prayer. If we're going to grow as Christians... If we're going to go further and deeper into our faith, then we know that that prayer is is absolutely necessary and essential. And yet I also reckon there's a fair chance that most of us would acknowledge and accept that that our prayer life is not what it should be. It's not what it could be or it's not what we would like it to be. And so over these next uh, eight Sunday evenings, finishing up with a prayer service on Sunday evening, the 1st of July, we're going to think about our prayer lives. And I'm going to promote a very deliberate engagement in prayer. But during this particular series, I, I actually want to explore a distinct way of praying, a distinct type of prayer. 
which I hope will inspire every single one of us. And it's a way of praying that is accessible to every Christian, to every single person in this church, whether you've been a Christian for days, weeks, months, or absolutely years. It's a way of praying that I believe is potentially transformational. That's not a new way of praying. In fact, it's, it's anything but new. It's centuries old. But it's a way of praying that I, I personally recently rediscovered and have been reminded of on a few different occasions during the past couple of months. And I want to tell you a little more about those occasions in a moment or two. But what is it? What is this distinct way of praying? Well, it's the practice of, or it's the discipline of, or it's the joy of praying the Psalms. Where we literally take an individual Psalm and we pray it. And we allow it to fuel our prayers and our devotional lives. And I'm actually hoping that that maybe for a period of time, for a specific set period of time, maybe these next couple of months, that some people might choose to take one psalm per day, a different psalm each day or each week, and find or create 15 minutes and actually offer it as an expression of your prayers. And then as a launch pad into further prayer. I've been aware recently of the number of people who have kind of shared with me how their prayer life's fallen into a bit of a rut. Become a bit stuck and a bit static where, where prayers all seem to sound the same. There's maybe even a sense of frustration that they've become quite repetitive. Well, I believe that that praying the Psalms, which in effect is praying scripture, broadens and deepens the devotional experience that we derive from the life of prayer. That via this holy habit, and that's what it is, that we are taken well beyond, whenever we pray the Psalms, we're taken well beyond mere platitudes and we find words and expressions and language that take us deep into our own hearts. And actually allow us to be real and honest before an almighty God. Which is what prayer needs to be. And it's why I've called this series Deep Cries to Deep. Which as some of you know is is not just a quote from a song that we sang this evening. It's actually a direct quote from Psalm 42. And for me that phrase says something about a key aspect of prayer, that it is or it needs to be. Prayer needs to be a cry from deep within me to the depth of the Father heart of God. A cry from deep within me. A cry of honesty. A cry of reality to the Father heart of God. And those can be cries of lament. They can be cries of pain, they can be cries of exhaustion, or they can be cries of joy, cries of praise, joy, cries of thanksgiving. They can be cries where we ask God for rescue, for deliverance, or they're cries for justice. They can be cries for comfort or cries for forgiveness. 
You see, the thing is that so much, if not all, of human life is captured in the Psalms. The highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the good days, the difficult days, the bright moments, the dark experiences, they're all there. But in the Psalms, what you find is all of those experiences of life, which every single person here has experienced, they are all taken to God in prayer. The Psalms are not the voice of God addressing us. The Psalms are the voice of humanity addressed to the Holy One. And Walter Brueggemann, in in his book, Praying the Psalms, talks about the powerful, dangerous and joyful rawness of human reality that is found in the Psalms. And that in the Psalms we find the voice that dares to speak these matters with eloquence and passion, but dares to speak them to the Holy One. And I believe that we are invited to add our voice. To use these words as our prayers. I don't know about you, but so often whenever I sit down to pray, I'm not quite sure where to start. I'm not quite sure where to go. And what I have found recently is that by praying the Psalms, it has really enriched my relationship with God and my devotional life and my prayer life. The Psalms have been described as the most perfect book of prayer. And the history of praying the Psalms is actually incredibly rich, but I wonder, is praying the Psalms in danger of becoming a lost art? Is it in danger of being overlooked as a practice of the contemporary church and 21st century disciples of Jesus Christ? In the Psalter, we actually have 150 Psalms or prayers. We have this amazing resource that gives us words, that gives us sentences, that actually gives us a language to use and to pray even when we don't feel like it. A resource that trains us in prayers that are biblical. Prayers that are not just biblical, but prayers that are honest. Prayers that are right. And so the Psalms are not only an encouragement to pray, but they are a pattern of prayer but let me share what has prompted this reawakening to praying the psalms in my own life and why I'm kind of quite excited about the prospect of this new series and it's three recent experiences that have had quite an impact on my thinking and my reflection and the first and these aren't necessarily in order but the first happened during our recent morning series here at Windsor And some of you will will have been through that series with us, Major on the Minors. And it was whenever we reached the Old Testament book of Jonah, and specifically whenever we got to that bit where he was spending 72 hours in the belly of the fish. And what we discovered was that whenever he was in that place, that dark, difficult, and relatively hopeless place, What we discovered as we journeyed through that series was that whenever Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he prayed. And in fact, a quarter of... Hi, Billy, it's good to see you. And in fact, a quarter of the entire Old Testament book of Jonah is taken up with his prayer. 
There are only four chapters in the book of Jonah. But all of chapter 2 is a prayer. And as we looked at that, what struck us was how much Jonah's prayer looked like and sounded like a psalm. In fact, many people are convinced that Jonah's prayer was based heavily upon and influenced by the psalms. Psalms which Jonah knew and which he then recalled in those moments whenever he found himself in that difficult place. And after I got home that Sunday morning in March, James Greenwood sent me an email. James normally sends me an email to sort out all my dodgy theology. But that morning, James Greenwood sent me an email that listed, and I had never realised this, but listed nine direct quotes from nine different psalms that were used in Jonah's prayer. And so it became clear to me that Jonah was a person who not only prayed the psalms, but he was able to draw upon this prayer book as a resource for praying at a particular moment in time. That here was a man of God who was so familiar with the psalms that they fueled his specific prayer whenever he found himself in a difficult place. And the question I find I've been asking myself is this. As someone who has been a Christian for forever, at least that's how it feels, am I so familiar with the Psalms that I could draw upon them at any given moment in time and use them to form and express a prayer? How well do I really know the Psalms? This incredible prayer book that has been given to me. The second experience that got me thinking about praying the Psalms took place at this year's Baptist Pastors Conference in March. At least a couple of you were there. And the speaker during those two days in Glenada in Newcastle was John Bell from Zimbabwe. And he spoke from the Psalms. And on our final morning together he spoke on Psalm 22. And that's the psalm that starts with the line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what John Bell suggested, and he built a pretty convincing case for it, was that Jesus actually quoted, or to be more accurate, Jesus prayed Psalm 22 in its entirety when he was on the cross. And I know many, many others would accept that to be a fair assumption. And so again, as I sat there, I was really struck by the discovery that here was someone else, none other than the Son of God, who was so immersed in the Psalms, so immersed in this prayer book that has been given to us, that he was able to recall one of them and pray it during a critical moment in his life. And if Jesus prayed the Psalms. What about me? My final experience that has influenced this series happened in a rather different place. I recently headed off for a a 24-hour silent retreat to the uh, Benedictine Monastery in Ross Trevor. 
And many of you will know that when it comes to Benedictine liturgy, psalms are the mainstay. That they recite the psalms at morning and noon and evening prayer. And therefore, Benedictine monks pray their way through the entire Psalter every three weeks or three and a half weeks. Keep praying through the psalms every three and a half weeks. And so it's no wonder that they have become like a heartbeat to that particular order. And for me, having the privilege to join them for 24 hours, whenever those were virtually the only words spoken or prayed for a whole day, I found it so humbling and so helpful. And as a result of those three experiences, a series here in the morning, a three-day pastor's conference in Glenada, a 24-hour silent retreat in a monastery, I have felt the need in my own life to engage afresh in praying the Psalms, to make better and much more use of what is an invaluable book of prayer that's been given to me. To embrace more readily the speech of the Psalms, which at times does seem abrasive, does sound dangerous, and yet which is always revolutionary and liberating. And if you are here this evening and you sense that your prayer life, or you sense that our corporate prayer life could benefit from a renewed focus on prayer, then I want us to consider praying the Psalms as a God-given way to engage in prayer more intentionally. And so each Sunday night, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to look at an individual psalm. And I'm going to consider how it was and still can be used as a heartfelt expression of prayer, as deep cries out to deep. Prayer has been defined as the conversation of the heart addressed to God. And so what I'd love us to do is I'd love us to enjoy the dialogue and to join in with some of what I hope you will find to be amazing prayers. Three summers ago, uh, we actually did a series at, at Windsor here, and, and I'm not sure how many of you were here for that series called Alternative iTunes. Whenever we acknowledged that the book of Psalms is not just a prayer book, but it's also a song book. Well, we're not going to look at any of the psalms that we looked at in the summer of 2009 during this series. We're going to look at eight entirely different psalms. And tonight, just in the last few moments, I want to start with a relatively short one. And it's a very potent one. And it's an incredibly straight from the heart one. And it's Psalm 13 and it's page 548 in the Bibles in the pews. Psalm 13, page 548. And it's a psalm of David. And it is a lament. And the reason that I want to start with a lament is that there are lots of laments in the psalms. In fact, almost half of the psalms are laments. And here's one of the things I I have discovered. There isn't really the opportunity to lament. In church, we don't sing, we don't pray very many laments. 
And lament is the word you use to describe when you feel like you're slowly disintegrating. When you feel like your life or your world is falling in on you. And all you can do, it would seem, is cry out to God. And the Puritans used to talk about the dark night of the soul. Those times in our Christian lives whenever God seems distant. Whenever God feels like a million plus miles away. Whenever in our Christian lives it appears that God is oblivious to our situation or our circumstances. Or it seems that God is silent. God is on mute. And throughout our Christian lives there are times and there will be times whenever we find ourselves in that place. But rather than than throw the head up, rather than pack the faith in, the Psalms of Lament actually encourage us to pray, to take our questions, to take our distress, to take our angst to God in prayer. And as you read and pray the Psalms of Lament, you find permission to be honest. And then it's from that place of honesty, and it's only from that place of honesty, that you are encouraged and inspired to trust And then to hope, even in the midst of mess and despair. And I'll guarantee you that Psalm 13 resonates. Or it will, at some point, resonate with every single person here this evening. We have all been here. Or maybe we know someone who's there right now. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Let's unite our voices. And if you kind of want to say it with feeling, say it with feeling if this relates to you. Let's pray together. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? with sorrow in my heart every day. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Four times that haunting phrase. How long? David, it seems, is at the end of his rope. And there's raw emotion in these very pointed questions. And I don't know how you you picture David praying that prayer, whether it's through gritted teeth, whether there are tears streaming down his face, whether his hands are open like that, whether his fists are clenched. David clearly feels abandoned. God is overlooking me. And he's not even sure there's a positive end in sight. Forever is a distinct possibility. Or it certainly feels like that. And in addition to this sense of spiritual loneliness and isolation, there's also a level of internal turmoil. There's anguish in his soul. There's sorrow in his heart. This is affecting David at a deep level, at an intense level. How long, God, is this going to last? And to top it all, his enemy... 
whoever or whatever that is, is having the upper hand. And I don't believe, and I'm sure you would agree, that David's experience is unique. I know people who are here. I know people who have been here. Whenever God feels distant, whenever the peace that passes all understanding is not their immediate experience, whenever there's a heaviness, whenever there's a sense of dislocation, whenever the someone or the something that is out to get them does appear to be having the upper hand, does appear to be winning, we seem to have our backs against the wall. And what I believe is that a prayer like this that's found in God's word allows us, actually encourages us, and I love the fact that this is here, but it encourages us to be real, to express with integrity how we feel. It gives us a voice. It says, don't be afraid to ask hard questions of God. How long? Realising that God is big enough to take my honesty. But what we discover as we go through this psalm is that it cannot stop at this point. That cannot be the end of it. That cannot be where we finish praying. Because after the questioning, after the telling God how we feel, there is a recognition that we need God. David doesn't tell God how he feels and then immediately he's done that he goes in and looks in another direction to find answers, to find comfort to find hope, to find restoration to find transformation to find the fix that he needs what he does is that he realises God, you are the one and only place I must go to find support you're the one place I must go to find perspective you're the one place I must go if I'm going to find a way forward look at verse 3 where he cries out look on me and answer Lord my God and so this is not an irreverent rant and this is where there is a fine line this is actually prayed with reverence Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. It's honest, yes. There are no holes barred. There are very pointed questions asked. But it's honest to God. And therefore there is humility and there's submission. And what the psalmist discovers is that whenever he cries out to God with all this raw emotion, with all this integrity, he finds that there is hope. And then he's able to articulate a trust in God. Because here's how this psalm finishes. And it's a very short psalm. So there's honesty. I'm coming before you God in reverence. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. It's an incredible turnaround in his praying. And the trust clearly doesn't come from looking at his present circumstances because they are still awful. There's no easy flick the switch answer and there rarely is. 
But what this trust comes from is recalling and reaffirming who God is and what God has done from in the past. He is a God of unfailing love. And therefore, despite how I feel, I know God has not abandoned me. Because God has promised never to leave me or forsake me. And David knows that. Not only is he a God of unfailing love, but he is a God of salvation. He's a God of rescue. He's a God who wants to revive and renew. And David says, I rejoice in that. And also, he is a good God. And so there is hope. And there is the prospect of a new day. How long? No idea how long. This might go on for days, for weeks, for months. It might even go on for years. And that can be hard for some people who keep crying out to God, how long? But in our praying, we've got to say, God, how long? But I trust in your unfailing love. You never abandon me. I rejoice in your salvation. You've rescued me. You're a God who wants to renew you and revive. And God, you are good and you have been good to me. And so there is a psalm to pray this week. There is a psalm to pray if you ever experience the dark night of the soul. There is a framework that allows deep to cry out to deep. And so why not take Psalm 13 this week and either pray it yourself or actually give it to someone who you know is in a really tough place at the moment and say to them, I give you this as a prayer to offer to God. Let's pray together. Father, we we realize and recognize that there are so many prayers found in Scripture. And I thank you that you have given us an entire book of prayers to use, to add our voice to. And I pray that we would be a people of prayer, that we would be a praying church. And I ask God that this week you would maybe encourage and inspire us to begin taking hold of some of these great psalms and praying them. And then using them as a launchpad for our prayers. And God, if there's anyone here tonight who is in a tough place, in a dark place, who is really struggling, who feels that you are distant from them, or knows of someone who is in that place, then I thank you, God, for Psalm 13. This prayer of lament and hope. And for those who this week will take it and will pray it, I ask God that you would help them to know that you're a God of unfailing love, a God of salvation, a God who is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.